I'm still a little bit lost in the time of worship that we had when uh, I think the name of the song is called Communion, the You Are Closer Than My Skin. I think that's the name. When the worship team started singing it, it was very unexpected. I'd, I haven't actually had a moment like that in worship in a long time. From the anointing on the voice, the vocals, to the drums, to the keys, everything, the Holy Spirit just fell. And in a lot of ways, it was unexpected. And it didn't strike me that that song or what the Spirit was doing with that song at that very moment, it didn't actually strike me that it would hit me that way. And I wonder if some of you experienced that. That's a good example of what it feels like when something doesn't strike you originally, and then all of a sudden, because of whatever God is doing, it hits you. And we felt it objectively, not subjectively. I think every single person during that song felt something and experienced the presence of God. And in a lot of ways, that's a good setup to what I feel like God has for us today. We are going to be talking about things that maybe don't strike us originally, but then strike us all of a sudden. And so um, that'll be later on in the message. But to begin with, the other day, I, 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 have you guys used the app Waze, the, the map tool? So 20 years ago, when we wanted to decide where we, would, where we would go and we had to figure out how to get there, there was something called a Thomas Guide, <laughs> for those of you who are above 30. And uh, there was also a map. And then we, my millennial generation thought we were coming up because we had this thing called MapQuest where we had to type in the address and then we could print it out and proudly go with our technological paper. We would print it out and we would go and find directions. But I realized something. In 2022, when we think about directions, we don't actually think about the way to get from point A to point B. I don't even care how I'm going to get to point B. I just look at what? The ETA, right? I don't even care what route this thing wants to take me through. I'm looking at how long it's going to take me. And oftentimes that determines whether or not I'm going to go. (laughs) Some of you don't come to church because you look at that ETA and it's too long. Don't do that. And so I realized that Today, our goal is really the ETA. It's not actually the route. It's not actually the direction. We're very concerned with how long something's going to take us from point A to point B. And that actually drives our motivation. It drives um, how we think about life. It drives what we decide to do. It, 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 actually, it actually makes us second guess very important things in our life because we don't want it to take too long. We're always looking at the ETA. And I realized that because this week I was driving through the canyon roads where we used to live, like in Studio City, Toluca Lake area. You can take the canyon over to get to the west side. And um, all of a sudden, Waze didn't tell me the ETA anymore because it, 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 it went offline. But it still told me the directions, and I was getting upset. How could I get upset when it's still telling me the way to go, but it's not giving me an ETA? And I realized something in my spirit told me, see, this is your problem, Rajiv. And so it's actually very important to know the directions of where we're going, even if we don't know the estimated time of arrival. And so in 2022, something that our humanity 
may actually struggle with a lot is this ETA. Sometimes God will give you the directions, but he rarely tells you how long it's going to take. So we want to talk about this a little bit. Today, I've been led to preach from Matthew 25, and I'm actually going to preach from the whole of Matthew 25. And the problem with that is it's three parables, and it's quite long. And I can't, I don't think we have enough time for me to read the whole chapter. So I'm going to summarize a little bit, and I'm going to take bits and pieces and read it. But I do want to encourage you after the sermon later today, as you're processing with whatever God did during this time, just read the whole thing yourselves, okay? It's really, it's a good practice to read the context of whatever a sermon is coming from. You have to read the whole thing. We're just not going to have time to do it today. So I'm just going to paraphrase each of the parables, and I'm going to read some excerpts. So just follow along as best as you can. Matthew 25. We have the parable of the ten bridesmaids, we have the parable of the talents, and we have the judgment of the nations with the sheep and the goats, which I actually wrote a song about called Goat on my last album from Matthew 25. But with the parable of the ten bridesmaids, I'll read the first five verses. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. It's interesting that the, the ones with the oil and the ones without, the righteous and the unrighteous, all fell asleep. And so what basically happens is the bridegroom arrives, five of them have enough oil to meet them, five of them don't. And the ones that don't have enough oil are not invited to the banquet. We skip down to the parable of the talents. For it is as uh, in verse 14. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To the one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Verse 16, the one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more. In the same way, the one who had two made two more. But the one who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And this is key, verse 19. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And we know this parable where... He goes to the person who had won, who dug his talent on the ground because he was afraid of what the master would say if he lost that one talent. And he tells them, go away from me. You belong where there's what I, what I deem kind of harsh, weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then we get to the judgment of the nations, the sheep and the goat, goats. And basically, when the son of man comes, he'll separate, separate out the sheep and the goats. And he will, he will, and it's interesting. He tells the sheep, you are welcome in because you were, when I needed a drink, you gave me a drink. When I needed food, you gave me food. When I needed clothes, you gave me clothes. And the sheep are like, when did that happen? When did we ever welcome you in? And he says, when you did it for the least of these, you also did it for me. And then he says the same thing to the goats. You are not welcome in because when I was thirsty, you, gave me, you didn't give me something to drink. When I was hungry, you did not give me something to eat. And they said, 
we would have never done that with you. When did we do that? And they said, because you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it for me. And so in all three of these parables, there's one interesting thing in common. Both the righteous and the unrighteous are completely unaware of the timing of God. They fell asleep. They also didn't know it was Jesus himself that they were catering to and serving. And, and this thread that they were all unaware is interesting because when you are living a life with God or when you are not living a life with God, there will be some information that you are not privy to regardless. And I think sometimes as Christians, we think when we are living in the uh, providence of God, when we are living in the timing of God, it means that we automatically must know what the right time is upon our life. And I want to tell you, tell some of you today, that might be true in some seasons of your life, but most of the time, I have no idea when God is going to come through on what he told me. And we just have to learn to live in that tension. That is the way of this kingdom that he has designed and you and I did not. And we have no business imposing our idea of time and timeliness to God. So once we're okay with that, I think it becomes a little easier. Ten bridesmaids, none of them knew when God was coming back, the righteous and the unrighteous. I want to focus, though, on the, the parable of the talents on this one verse. Verse 16 The master goes away, sorry, verse 19, after a long time, after a long time, the master came back. So he gave these talents to his servants, but then after a long time, he came back. But check this out. The servants did something interesting. As soon as they received, the, the, the ones who got five and two, what we're calling the righteous servants, the ones who did it the right way. As soon as they got it, it says in verse 16 that they went off at once. Okay? So as soon as they got the talents, they went off at once and did what they were supposed to do. But the master came after a long time. Went off at once, long time. Okay? Most of us know that the master will probably come after a long time, or what we deem as long so we don't go off at once. When God tells us something to do, when we feel like we know, we, when we feel like he has given enough for the next step, we actually, our, our humanity actually struggles with this, with, with this thing called delaying. We delay. We delay because we think we have all the time in the world. But the ones that acted righteously were immediate. They, they went off at once. And I just wonder how many of us today, you know what you're supposed to do, but because you, you think that you have more time or you assume that you have more time, you don't go off at once. You like to sit and delay, and you actually have built a theology around it, and you call that patience. And patience does not mean you get to be lazy and you get to delay. Patience happens after obedience happens. You obey, then you get to be patient. But you don't get to say, well, God told me to do something. I'm exhibiting discernment and patience. Some of us are patient for the wrong, wrong things, right? 
the length of time after a long time impacts us greatly. And I think today, God wants to deal with after a long time. It eats away at us when time goes and we're not seeing what, we're not seeing the fruits of maybe what he told us originally. Time keeps going and it eats away at our soul. It eats away at our, at our endurance. It eats away at our patience. And we decide, we, we dis, I think the most impatient people, myself included, we are the ones who don't act quickly because we would rather God wait on us than we wait on God. Our impatience, our, we, can, we can know if we're impatient if we would rather make God wait or whether we were willing to wait on God. See, God is so patient that he just, he's waiting on us all the time. The Holy Spirit is always waiting for you. He's waiting for us to act. He's waiting for us to show up. And some of us struggle with delaying. We delay, we, we, we delay everything in our life. Even though we are the most gifted, even though we are the, most, uh, we are the smartest, we just delay. We delay. We're dating people for five, six years. We're, 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 we're waiting to start that new thing because we say this is a season of prayer and fasting. But chances are you didn't fast for that long, so... And we've got, to be very important. we've got to be very cautious with what we call patience. And patience has to do with your waiting, not God's waiting. That is why these servants who God says, well done, good and faithful servants, they acted immediately, even though they didn't actually receive the well done until after a long time. So today I want to ask you the question, What has after a long time done for you? Has it made you stronger or has it made you shrink back? How do you deal with after a long time? Because who you are after a long time is what determines everything. It determines your fruit. It determines how God will use you and how God will bless the world through you. We have a problem with delay. And... The fact of the matter is, some things will only strike us after a long time. Recently, somebody heard that Lydia and I had a preschool, a Montessori preschool, and she, she's an older auntie, and she was like, of course you have a preschool. I said, what do you mean, of course I have a preschool? And she said, don't you remember when you graduated college, that thing that you tried? And I said, no. <laughs> she said... She said, so basically, and now I remember, obviously, but in in 2006, right after I graduated from UCLA, I had this idea. I don't know why I had this idea, but I had this idea to do a summer program at somebody's house, (laughs) because I didn't have a a location, but it would be a a Montessori-inspired summer program. I was 21 years old, and this was the idea that I had. 
And I actually, back then, I was so dumb. I was dumb enough to just do whatever I thought of. And so I had this idea, and I was like, it's going to be a six-week summer program. I got two teachers. She was one of them. I got the space, and then the city said no because they were like, you can't actually do this in a house, right? And so she was like, so, so she said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Uh, we'll just take the summer off. You know, she had, they, both the teachers had summer break. And so she said, of course you have a Montessori school. Don't you remember what you were thinking back then? And it didn't strike me because it was such a failure. It was such a failed, ridiculous attempt. I mean, I remember the guy I spoke to on the phone with about, can I do it at this house? It's big enough. He, was, he, he, he didn't want to be patronizing, but he was. He was like, what are you thinking? But do you know what I realized? I feel like because I acted on what happened in 2006 and the idea that God gave me, and I acted on a lot of dumb ideas, I believe that was the seed for 2018 when we opened up a school for over 100 kids and now expanding. And so I believe that the seed happened in 2006 because it was in my heart. And it was in my soul. I acted right away. But 2018, by the way, in your, like, you guys might think 12 years is like not a long time. But when you're 21, like one year is a long time. Actually, three months is a long time. Three months. When you're in your early 20s. So after a long time, it happened. And it didn't even strike me. I fell asleep. I fell asleep. Like the, like the, like the bri- 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 uh, bridesmaids, I fell asleep. And, I said, and, and it was also in the, the final parable, it's like, God, when did I try to set up a school before? When? And he's like, don't you remember? I, start, I told you in 2006, I told you. But I had to wait 12 years to see something happen. Because what happens is this. If you act Quickly, when God tells you something and you're willing not to give up, something is waiting for you on the other side. Not just for you, but for generations. Your children and your children's children. Something is always waiting for you. Now, there are dormant things that God told you about long time ago. There are ways about you that you are created, that God told you. And I promise, it is a promise Not all of those things will become something, because some of those things are just things you like, you know? It's like, I never made it to the NBA. I really like basketball. (laughs) Doesn't mean I went to the NBA. But there are things in us, in, in the narrative of your life, that if you persist and if you endure, God's way in his economy is it will come to pass, and it will blow your brain. It will blow your imagination on how much more it could actually be. The same thing happened to me when I first started doing music in 2008, when I first, when Jivo was born, when I first started becoming a recording artist, I shyly told my friends, uh, hey guys, I'm, I'm having an album release party. Yeah, like it's crazy, I recorded an album. And no, not one person was surprised. And I, except me, I was the one who was surprised because I was really shy about saying I'm an artist. And they were like, okay, it's about time. 
I was like, what do you mean it's about time? I've never told you I like music. They were like, you've never told us you like music? You are music. Everything that comes out of you is music. You've been talking about music without talking about music for 15 years. What do you mean? Of course you're an artist. We've been waiting for this. And to me, it was such a shock that they would actually embrace this crazy thing I thought I was doing. But everybody who knew and loved me knew that it was already inside of me. It just took a long time to manifest. I want to say to you guys that the master has given you a talent or multiple talents or multiple resources or maybe even one. But it doesn't strike you until later. And I want to, I want to say, if you take this seriously... If you take the seed that God has given you seriously, it's not just because of the seed. It's because the seed will disciple you and kill you and make you into more like someone who's more like Jesus. That's why it's so important. Okay? It's not because, oh, you and your, your desire and your dreams are so, so precious to this earth. I mean, look, if I didn't do it, somebody else would have done it. Okay, I don't know if I'm that important. But what is more important than the very thing I did was the fact that I've been discipled. Was the fact that I became more Christian. Was the fact that I could be more trustworthy. That's why Jesus, was not part of the sermon, but that's why Jesus stepped into the boat of the disciples. He came into the vocation and he took that and he flipped it, and now you will become fishers of men. It is the most powerful parable in your life if you allow God to come into your boat. Whatever your boat is, whatever the thing that you do well, whatever the thing that God, that you think about when you wake up in the morning, whatever it is that you feel like you do better than anything else that you do, that is your boat. It's not because that's the end of itself. It's because that's the way that you will be discipled. Don't you want to be discipled? If not for music, I wouldn't be discipled. I'd be okay. (laughs) I'd just be a general Christian. You could call me a general Christian. That's what I would be. But to get on fire, you have to be discipled by something that will kill you. It will bring up everything about you, all your insecurities, all your issues of pride, all all your sin, and guess what? All your good things, too. All your strengths, too. It will bring everything up, and it will disciple you. That's why even with our kids, we, I try to look for what is that thing, because sometimes most of us don't even know what is that thing. Most of us don't even know, so we need other people. You guys need to help other people, the people that you care about, carry that out, because that's what makes you live. That's the difference between living and breathing is when you are doing your assignment. Okay? Anyway, that's a side. (laughs) So, Jesus has the right to delay, but you and I do not have the right to delay. So, I I want you to put it in your spirit right now. Say, I will not delay. Say it loud. I will not delay. You will not delay. That means even if what he tells you to do is ridiculous, you don't have to delay. This does not mean that you get, get a particle and then you just go on, on your Lone Ranger self and start something. 
and be foolish. <laughs> I'm not talking about being foolish. I'm talking about just don't delay. Okay? And I realize that some of us delay for a couple of reasons. And one is that we just don't actually know the value of a day, like one day, just one day. I think, I can't remember who said it, if it was Warren Buffett or somebody, they'll forgive me. But basically, we overestimate what we can do in one year, and we underestimate what we can do in five years. Which means that we struggle with the concept of one. We struggle with the concept of one day. During COVID, when we couldn't go, there was a time during COVID that was the worst part of COVID. And I'm not talking about just the pandemic. In Los Angeles, it was COVID mixed with the fires. Do you remember that time? It was like 30 days. Oh, my God. That was really hard. Do you remember this? I think it was 2020, July, October. Because guess what? During COVID, you could still go outside. And we could take the kids outside. Then you put the fires there, and now we can't even go outside. And I remember thinking, what do we do for the day? Especially with two small kids, Lydia and I would just stare at each other like, okay, here we go. What do we do for the day? And so I realized that we started to interact with the day like this. God, just get us through this day. Actually, I can't wait till the weekend because we get to go X, Y, and Z. You know, like when we were kids, uh, I would always ask my parents, who's coming over today? Because I don't want to be bored. Who's coming over? My kids ask us the same exact thing. Who's coming? Because they love people. Who's coming today? Where are we going? And I started to feel the pressure of the day. If I don't have a plan for the day, my kids are going to go crazy. I'm, we're, Lydia and I are going to go crazy. Everyone's going to go crazy. And so I started trying to fly by the day, and I didn't value moment by moment. I didn't value the, the gift of a day. And I think in Psalm 84, we might as well just quickly read it. There's one verse that speaks of this very well. It's verse 10. Psalm 84, verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. One day with God is better than thousands elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of the wicked. The psalmist is saying, I would rather have one day with God than waste a thousand. That's like three, six, nine. It's like three and a half years. I would rather have one day than three and a half days of even privilege, but one day with God. And I think this brings up the tension that we have with the idea of one, okay? The the idea of one bothers us. And so we're going to look at Matthew 25, verse 18. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground. Because the psychology of having one is very scary. When you have one of something, that means you don't, have, you don't have anything to waste. You only have one. So if this doesn't work out, then you're left with zero, right? And so today, 
we are going to redefine the number one. We're going to redefine what one means. And some of the things that we think about when we think of one is that we have no backup plan. We have no reinforcements. There's no validity if it's only one. I only have one. You just have one? You only want one? You really think there's only one? How many negative things are attached to one? It's like when you get married, when I got married, one of my friends who are not Christian, they were like, you think there's only one? (laughs) One is such a radical idea. One is such a radical, mind-blowing concept. And if we can fall in love with one, our lives will never be the same again. Just one. Today we're going to, f- maybe you're already in love with one. I, I wrote a whole album called One because of this. And if we, can, if, we can, if we can realize what happens with one, then everything will change. In sports, it's like if you win one championships, everyone's like, okay, you lucked out. You won one, do it again. So it's so funny, this idea of consistency. People th- like, because, you know, Aristotle said that thing about consistency. Consistency, is an, it's a repetitive act. Uh, I'm sorry, excellence is a consistent act, right? So everyone, and I agree, but I think that we have deified the idea of consistency. So whereas if somebody does something one time, we completely disregard it. We see this in sports culture. We see these in entrepreneurs who start one business. They're like, okay, do it again. Why do you have to do it again? One is good. Doing it one time is great. I don't understand why you need to do it again, right? And so this idea of consistency being like this end-all goal, if it's not in the spirit, if it's not in God, it's actually the enemy, So for today, I know you may have never maybe thought of this before. Throw away consistency. It's overrated. (laughs) I say that carefully. Throw away consistency just for the next 20 minutes. Who cares if you're consistent? Okay? We're talking about one. Okay? If you won one championship, you did a great job. That's one more than 99% of humanity. Okay? If you won one game, that's great. All right? One, do not scorn one. This is very important. And we're going to look at a beautiful place in Scripture about one. And it comes from Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 18. I'm just going to read the whole thing because it deserves to be read. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all because we have all sinned, sin was indeed in the world before the law. But sin is not reckoned when there is no law. Yet death exercised dominion from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one who was to come. So just to paraphrase, it means sin came by one person. And even though you and I don't choose into that same sin of the apple, it's still spread into all of us. Verse 15. 
But the free gift is not like the trespass. Okay, listen. But the free gift is not like the trespass, even though they're both one action. It's one for one. For if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift and the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. It's not a one-for-one correlation. It's one-for-one in terms of it was one and one. But the one free gift trumps this, the one sin, okay? For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brings justification. If, because of the one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. One man versus one man. Except the free gift is not like the trespass. The free gift totally obliterates the trespass. See, God's one, it's different from everybody else's one. Jesus was one. God actually had one son at first. Now, we've all been adopted, but that's another sermon. But God had one son. He was the only, he was the only child. And this one, this one act by Jesus completely changed and transformed humanity. And the one single entity that's Jesus came with a vengeance and its velocity is much greater than the defeat and darkness. And so this is why, this is why your one gift, this is why the one thing you have is very powerful because it trumps all the other mediocre, mediocre multiple gifts maybe that the world may have. It trumps all the, other, all the other fleeting pleasures, all the other fleeting things that the world calls important. If God gave you one thing, if he just gave you one thing to do, one person to love, if he gave you one person to pray for, it trumps everything because of what Jesus did as one. So the number one means so much. And consistency does not really happen because you do things more than once, consistency happens because you appreciated the first time you did it. That is the mechanism by which consistency is born. Consistency, don't look at consistent people and say, wow, they're so consistent. Look at consistent people and say, it's because the first time it happened to them, the one time it happened to them, they caught wind and they went. I want to talk to some of us who, who are experiencing issues of sin Issues of struggle, issues of temptation. Listen, if you overcome temptation one time, say you struggle with pornography, and say you overcome it one time, you were tempted and you didn't give in. You said your eyes belong to God and you didn't give in to it. You win. Say the second time, temptation overcame you. Don't worry about it. Because the first time you won, and you know what it feels like, and you know what grace feels like, when you can experience the grace 
when you can experience the wind of grace one time, it will take you. Eventually, it will take you. The problem with us is we find some kind of victory and then we mess up again. And then we think that the victory didn't come. The victory came. I want to tell you something. Your victory already came. You have experienced what it's like to overcome temptation. What I want you to focus on is what it felt like when you overcame temptation. Let's talk about the physics and the mechanics of that. Don't worry about the fact that you failed the second, third, fourth time. I wrote, I, I, I just recorded an album, and I, I recorded the album through COVID, and it was my seventh and final album. And, for the f- and we couldn't go into the studio, so we had to do sessions over Zoom. The most non-creative, <laughs> the most uninspiring way to make music is through Zoom. <laughs> if you haven't realized that Zoom does not inspire most of us at this point, but thank God for it. So for three months, I was writing songs. And for three months, my producer and I both didn't say anything because he didn't want to be discouraging. (laughs) And I didn't want to be discouraging either. But the music was garbage. I don't know how else to say this politely, but the music that I was making was so bad that I was ashamed of being a musician. It was so bad. And I thought I forgot how to write music. I actually thought I forgot. I was like, no wonder this is my last album. (laughs) No wonder. I deserve to never do this again. And so... We would meet three times a week on Zoom for four hours each session, sometimes five days a week, four hours. And for three months, it was horrible. And I didn't want to say anything. I felt bad. I said, maybe God will resurrect it. (laughs) God was like, I'm not resurrecting that. Throw it away. Throw it away. And for some reason, I was in the car, and I had this chord progression, didn't even have drums. And I just... I was like, you know, don't you know I have no blueprint when I made you? I am the blueprint. I, I started singing that over and over again. Don't you know I have no blueprint when I made you? I am the blueprint. So I had to look at me to make you. And I just had that. And all of a sudden, in the car, I pulled over and I started writing these lyrics. And I recorded it. And it was magic. So I thought that the vault opened up. I thought that the vault opened up. But then I, so I was like, Tim, we did it. I'm ready. He was like, are you sure? I was like, I'm ready. The next song we recorded was bad. It was, so, it was worse than the first three months. And so I couldn't understand why God would give me one great song after, after a drought. I thought that was the way the vault would open. But the vault didn't actually open like that. But you know how the vault opened? He reminded me of what happened when I wrote the first song called Gladiator. He reminded me of what happened, and I just dwelt on that. And then I made another song that made the album. That's called Universe. It's about Simone and Soleil. That song's fire, too. (laughs) Listen to it. And then, after Universe, I recorded another bad song. 
Another bad one. The vault hadn't opened up yet. And after that bad song, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 20 songs in a matter of 40, 30 days. That's like really hard. And then 30 songs after that. I recorded 55 songs in like two and a half months. Lyrics and all. These songs are rap songs, so it's not like five lyrics and you sing it over and over again. This is like thousands of lyrics. The vault opened up, and, and the vault opened up to this one song called Dead Man Walking, which, in my humble estimation, <laughs> is the greatest song I've ever written. That's a song that you hope to write after 10 years of writing. It all led up to what I would deem my masterpiece of songwriting for this genre, for this particular genre. And what I realized is, is that the grace that was given to me to write Gladiator grew and grew and grew, but externally it took, down, it took some downward spirals until it up. But it's literally the same grace from Gladiator that wrote 54 songs after that. And so you and I, when we experience the grace that comes one time, maybe for the first time in our life, we take that and we live in it and we don't get discouraged if, if, we, if we don't experience it the second time or the third time. But it happened at the first time. It happened when Jesus defeated the devil one time through his death and resurrection. All it took was one time. Consistency does not happen because you do things more than once. Consistency happens because you appreciate the first time it happened. This new grace, this new grace is radical. To be honest, when Daniel was singing the song Communion, because I know what happened in my spirit when I was sitting down during worship, I don't know if that's going to happen to me tomorrow during my quiet time. But I don't actually care. Because I know what happened when we sang those lyrics right here. I know what happened. And I experienced that transaction of the Holy Spirit. And maybe tomorrow on a Monday when things are normal again at 3 p.m., I won't feel it. But I will remember that's what communion is, by the way, ironically. It's the remembrance. I will remember, and it will actually happen again. Communion will happen again. The breaking of the bread will happen again. This grace is powerful, and I want all of us to experience it. Have you guys ever been to uh, an archery? An archery, uh, I don't know what you call it bow and arrow course, or <laughs> Katniss, Everdeen, Hunger Games. Um, I remember we went to, uh, uh, for my friend's bachelor party, one of the events was we went and shot bow, bow and arrows, and there's a very small target, a very small bullseye, and we were so, we were really bad. The guy, at one point, the guy was like, are you guys all right-handed? He thought we were doing it the wrong way because of how bad we were. And until, until one of us hit the bullseye, and, and then I actually hit a bullseye. I was like, how did that happen? He's like, he, and then he came to me. He was like, close your eyes and do it again. Close your eyes and do it again. 
I closed my eyes and it, it went even closer in the bullseye. And he was telling me that, he was telling me that once you get the feel of it, you don't even have to use your eyes. You just have to know point at the right direction because you, you feel the weight of pulling it back. I felt like Robin Hood after that. I kept going and going and going. But he was like, you, you remember what happened when you first hit the bullseye? Do you remember? I was like, yeah, I almost wasn't even, I, I told him what I was felt. I was like, the heaviness was this way, so I aimed this way. It's like, do it again. And then, of course, not everything was hitting the bullseye, but I experienced it the first time. The grace of the first time. Today, the devil has been trying to mess us up by making us look at our own inconsistency. And I want to say to you, put it away. We are not deifying consistency anymore. What we want is the pure grace of God the one time, and we want to know that one action from Jesus changed everything. One man, the second Adam, trumped everything. So we want to get into that. Do not let your inconsistency steal your joy. We're all inconsistent in our own ways. And whatever our struggles are, not one struggle is worse than the other. Some struggles have bitter consequences more than the others. But we all have to realize that there's a grace that's apportioned for us. And I'll tell you what, you know, people always say, like, I can't wait for Jesus to come. I can't wait for Jesus to come. Lord, come now. We hear something on the news that's going to, like, that's painful, and we tell Jesus to come now. And, and then we say, we're so patient. We're waiting for Jesus. The saints are waiting for Jesus. We're so patient. I got to be honest with you. I don't feel very comfortable asking Jesus to come now when so many of my friends and family don't know God. I think it's really interesting. I grew up in church culture that's always talking about, I can't wait till God comes. And I understand the sentiment of that. You know, Paul understood the sentiment of he'd rather be with Jesus, but he also wants to be here because there's people that need him. I think we need to stop talking about Jesus come now. He is so patient that he's not coming right now. That's probably why he's not coming right now. Because he's so patient. We think we're patient. He's patient. The patience of God is, is, is never ending. And he's not coming now because you and I have work to do. You and I maybe just have one thing to do. Maybe our greatest moment is like one thing. But if we, can, if we can live our whole life on track for that one thing by, whereby which we get discipled, whereby which we deal with our own sin life, whereby which we start to love people unconditionally, whereby which we experience worship, whereby which we experience consistency even, all of those things, all of those things make God so patient with us. And so I just wonder... All the things that you're praying for, waiting for God, I believe today God is saying, my son, my daughter, but I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for you to do the thing that I told you so that I can then come do the thing that I will do. Because if I do the thing before your obedience, you will not be changed. You will actually be destroyed. You will not become my vessel. You will just be someone who thinks there's blessing, but you yourself will not be changed. And so it is very important to be very humble when we start demanding that God comes through now 
Because I would suggest that he's looking back at you and saying, but you do it. Or you do the thing that I first told you before expecting me to do X, Y, and Z. That's how patient he is. It's not your patience. You can only be patient when you realize that it's God who's patient. When you know, don't, don't ask for patience as like this single detached thing. Lord, I need more patience. That's not how patience comes. Patience comes by going to God because he is patience. Love is patient. Love is kind. That God is love. Therefore, God is patience. If you want to be more patient, go to God. Don't ask for a singular virtue. Ask for God. He will make you patient. We are going to wrap up today in Luke chapter 24. Some of us are patient with the wrong things, like I said before. Some of you are in the worst relationships possible talking about, I'm patient. He has so much potential. Potential. Potential is like the word you use. (laughs) Okay, let me not say that. Potential is not a good word. Potential is basically, this person is nowhere close to what I want, but maybe one day. We are patient with the wrong things. We're also impatient with the wrong things. That's for somebody here. I feel it. Don't use the word potential anymore. Okay? No more potential. It's what's now. What's in front of you right now. That's it. That's all we have. (laughs) Next time I do something wrong at home, I tell Lydia, but I have potential. She doesn't, she didn't marry potential. You see what I'm saying? Stop using potential. Okay, that's all. I don't want to die with potential. I want to die with my quiver empty. All right, Luke 24. Again, uh, we're going to just read parts of it. So I would recommend you reading all of Luke 24 later today, along with Matthew 25 and Psalm 84 if you want. Um, the road to Emmaus, basically Jesus resurrected, and now he is proving himself. Yeah, because faith is proving, and, and God is about proving himself. Jesus proved himself, he resurrected, and it's recorded in the Gospels for us to read. Historical facts, okay, even if you're not a Christian. History, historical facts. It's proven so he, he appeared to his disciples, and in this, in this one instance, he walks alongside two of them, and he, 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 he interestingly tells them, what are you guys even talking about? And the disciples say, where have you been? Have you not heard what has happened in the last week or three or four days? And Jesus, as Jesus does, because he is God, he, he prods and he asks more. Tell me. And then in verse 25, then after they've explained to them what they thought was a great depic- depiction and portrayal of what happened, in verse 25, Jesus said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. 
Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. And then in verse 31, their eyes are opened after they break bread. And, and, they, they, and they realize my, my, our hearts were burning while he was talking. Of course this is the Messiah of the world. He has resurrected. And so there are some of us that are walking in our own road to Emmaus today. And you didn't actually realize that Jesus has been walking with you all along because you had hoped for something else. See, you had hoped, you had hoped that Jesus would, would be in this form. See, they had hoped that Jesus would come redeem Israel as a king uh, away and, and breaking them away from Roman oppression. They had hoped that it would look a certain way, but he said, no, my kingdom looks different. So that's why, that's why you and I have different interpretations of the same exact story. Here's the God of the universe that's walking with you. You have one interpretation of, of your, your story, of your narrative, and he has a completely different way of looking. I can't imagine how many times in my life that I have said, God, this sucks. This is terrible. This is nothing like you had promised. And I just for a second would love to know really what God looks at it and thinks. Can you imagine one day in heaven? You, I don't know if we do this in heaven, but you may be looking, re- recounting the things that happened. And one perspective that you were so stuck on for 10 years, he was looking and, and was like, are you crazy? Why would you even think that? Can you imagine there are things in our life that God is doing that with right now, right in this moment? He has a completely different perspective on the matter. I'll give you an example of what I think might be, the, but might be an example. Two of my... Two of my musical heroes, you could say, Kanye West, ever since I was 20 years old, I really liked him. And I'm not co-signing for his music. I'm just saying I liked him. There's this other artist named M.I.A. She's a Sri Lankan Tamil artist. Okay? I'm a Sri Lankan Tamil artist. <laughs> I was so happy when I... And, and she's female in rapping, in music, in pop culture, she was pregnant on the stage with, on the Grammy, with the Grammy Awards on stage with Kanye and Jay-Z singing a song with them. It was an amazing thing for a Sri Lankan Tamil kid, okay? Both of them lived a very non-godly life, okay? They really did. And throughout our journeys, you, I, I have met both of them multiple times, and and. I would just always be wondering, like, God, why don't you trust me to, like, have their impact? Like, why don't you trust me? If I were you, God, you should just make me as big as them because I talk about you. <laughs> Doesn't that make sense? I'm still kind of asking him that same question, but not, not, not in the bad ways. <laughs> so, so why wouldn't you use me? Look, I think I rap better than Kanye. I have better things to say than MIA. Use me. 
And for 10 years, I would be, I always watch them. I lo- I'm proud of them. I feel like a peer, even though they don't know who I am. I mean, MIA does, but I, I feel like a peer. These people make me happy. <laughs> okay, Non-Christians can make you happy if you love them. Yeah? You got to learn that. That's why I'm not saying, Jesus, come now. I got work to do. We got work to do. So they make me happy. And so here I was, little old Jeevo, 2008 album, 2009 album, 2010 album, 2011 mixtape, 2012 album, 2013 album. I'm just being faithful with the little that I have. And one day in 2018, Kanye West converted and became a Christian. A Christian with flaws, just like you and me. But a Christian nonetheless. And four weeks ago, MIA had a vision of Jesus and became a Christian. And I believe that on this side of eternity, here's 25-year-old Rajiv begging God to give me the platform of, of MIA and Kanye West. I want to be just like them. I want to be, I want to do just what they do. I want to have the same stage. I want to have, you know, like it costs a hundred thousand dollars a show for, for, for them to do some, do something at a high level. Maybe God, if you gave me half of that, I can do some crazy things. And the whole time I believe in heaven, I see it. I've seen it and I've heard it. And I don't care what anybody tells me. And I know what God was saying is I'm having them catch up to you. Because discipleship is a complete picture. It's not what you see on Instagram. It's not what you see on TV. It's not what you see. The new great is not to just be a great artist or famous or popular. The new great is to be a disciple. That's the new great. It's to be as good as MIA and Kanye West and also be a really good husband and a really good dad and a really good friend and a really faithful person and a patient person and someone that's willing to talk to anyone. Those are components of the new great. And the whole time for 10 to 15 years, I had a gripe with God and God from heaven was like, you, my son, they were supposed to catch up to you. It wasn't the other way around. When Kanye dropped his album, Jesus is King, 20 people texted me and called me and said, how did you work with him? I said, what are you talking about? He was like, that, his album in 2018 sounds like what you did in 2008. When you take the seed seriously, whatever the one thing that God has given you, you will be ahead of the time. You will not be contemporary. You will be in the future walking backwards. That is the calling of the church. The church was never supposed to be backward. The church was never supposed to be following the world. The church was also always supposed to be in front. I don't care if you're in science, you're in politics, you're in TV, you sell cars, you're a teacher. I don't care what you do. You are supposed to be ahead of the time. People will write about you, not in a glorification type of way, but they will know that the seeds of the kingdom were in you. They will write books about you. Not in the bad way, not in the let me be important way. But you will be ahead of your time. You will showcase to people what marriages look like. People will look up to you. People will want to know how you parent. They will want to know how you love people. They will want to know how you worship lead and, and experience 
and let other people experience this Holy Spirit just like I did today sitting there. Amen? We are slow of heart because our hopes have been dashed over and over again. So we are not quick to believe. We are slow to believe. That's why Jesus tells these disciples, why are you so slow of heart? I think that, that paraphrase is very important. Being slow of heart means it takes you a long time to believe. And it takes you a long time to believe because you had this fixed expectation in mind. And that fixed expectation did not come true. So it's made you slower and slower and slower. Today I want to suggest to, you, to us that God, in the narrative of your story, Stop listening to your own translation of your story and start asking God, what have you told me about my story? Don't even trust yourself. Don't even trust your version of the story. You need another living translation of the narrative and the Holy Spirit today is walking by your side and he's redefining what your story actually means. He has deposited things in you from 2006. He told you, you are going to start this organization. You are going to, your life is going to be about this. And I know it doesn't seem like it because the last 12 years, it hasn't been about this. But if you're faithful to me, it will be like that and beyond. To infinity and beyond. It will be more. A life with God is always more than you get, that you, than you bargained for. Today, if you don't feel that way, if you don't feel like a life with God is more than you bargained for, I want to invite you into that life. And that comes by not despising the one thing that he's put in front of you. It comes by not despising it, but it's to take it seriously and grow it.